Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. City of Chronicles is a Bayer Chronicles production. Calabria, Calabria dentro, Olivier, Olivier si gira, il tiro, gol, Olivier Giroud, il 2 per noi, Olivier, 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 amore fisico, Olivier, Olivier, si Oli, è finita, è finita, è finita, come può uno scoglio, Hello and welcome to another episode of the Seria Chronicles podcast. I am your host for today. It's Mina Rizuki and of course, as always, I am joined by my wonderful co-host, Nikki Bandini. Now, my producer just told me that he can hear all the sounds of the nursery that's right opposite my house and this is despite the fact that I've got the windows closed and uh and I am sorry if you hear that it's not because I'm trying to reclaim my youth there's always going to be a part of me that will try to do that but it genuinely is because I have a school right next to me and there's this one annoying girl there who just hasn't come to terms with the fact that she has to be in school for the next 20 years and every time she comes she's either yelling or crying for about 20 hours and I have to deal with it. Mina, I, I, you, can't, you can't get away with this when you tell your stories around me because you've also told me about how when you were at school, you literally broke out through the window. So telling someone else they have oh, to yeah. come to terms with going to school. That's also true. I actually didn't properly go to school till I was seven because I was always trying to escape. <laughs> so you are right about that. I mean, that probably explains why I didn't speak English for so many years, but yeah. Yes, I really did hate school, um, even though I was a great student, frankly speaking, <laughs> but um, if I do say so myself. But uh, I trust all is well in your world, Nikki. No more ambulances. We haven't been hearing that for some time. No ambulances, no screaming children here. I just have students upstairs, so they tend to thump and crash it at um, four in the morning. But middle of the day, they're probably asleep. Oh, good. It was um, a fantastic weekend of football. And my God, isn't it nice to have it all back? Mm. I have to say, it's just like a Frenchman to resolve everything in three minutes, right? <laughs> and it was... <laughs> Mina's it's just on fire this episode. God, Mina. Um, a handsome Frenchman, no less, Olivier Giroud. Listen, honestly, uh, like I really would not, if you had talked to me about like the way this season could play out a week ago, Three days ago, if you'd talked to me about 
who would be the saviour of the Serie A title race, Olivier Giroud, who since he has got to Milan has had uh, COVID and then um, a, a, a lumbago, like a, a lower back problem, and then a hamstring issue, has played a total of, well, started before this weekend, I think it was a total of seven games for Milan. I would not have said Olivier Giroud is here to save the Serie A title race, but that's what happened, Mina, because 70... Five minutes into that game, the derby of the weekend, Inter were one nil up. And I mean, it should have been about three or four nil. Frankly, they'd been so completely dominant in the first half. They eased off a bit in the second half. They hadn't been creating as much, but Milan hadn't done anything to that point. And then in three minutes, he turns the game around on his own. And it really does feel like on his own. Of course it wasn't. Of course, other players are involved. But it's not just that he scores the two goals. But he starts it all, I think, with that challenge on Alexis Sanchez in midfield. Alexis Sanchez has just come off the bench himself and is sort of finding his way into the game. And Giroud arrives like a train and, and they sort of hit each other and fall over. When I first saw that, I thought 100% he's fouled him. And the more I watched it, the less I thought that Giroud had fouled him. The more I thought, actually, he gets there first, he gets the ball, and then they just collide. They're both moving and they just collide. Wait, I want you to reserve this thought because this is something that I would like to talk to you about when I compare it to a different okay. match. So we'll come so back to that one. Keep that in mind. But either yeah. way, that moment, that sort of, that physical moment felt like it was this pivot point in the match because Giroud gets back to his feet, sprints to catch up with a play, arrives lunging at a full slide to score at the back post um, when Brahim Diaz has his shot deflected at the end of that move. And then he scores the second goal, which Handanovic should do better but it's a brilliant turn to get away from De Vrij, uh, going into the box. Calabria gives him this, this uh, through ball down the right channel, but De Vrij is right on him. And he does this turn that we get to talk loads, Mina, about mm-hmm. how you're a Juventina on this podcast. But as an Arsenal fan, I remember him doing that exact turn against Liverpool <laughs> in Anfield in 2016. So he's had that one tucked away in the back of his uh, toolkit for a while. But look, Olivier Giroud saved the title race, Mina. That's what happened. Yeah, it, it really, it's so amazing to see that there is such a genuine title challenge going on right now. Obviously, Napoli winning, Milan doing something against all odds that we didn't think would happen. Um, especially when you look at sort of the results in the last 11 matches, Inter have been so dominant um, in, in the derbies between, and obviously the derbies. And so you were thought, and I think everyone thought, I mean, even when you look betting, it was something like minus 1,200 if sorry, like as in for, for Inter to win, because that was how sure everyone was that this Inter was going to win this side. And they dominated the past half. They played exactly like you said, how we thought. But Giroud, and we love an efficient man, you know, I mean. It's, He's going to show up on Valentine's Day with a bucket of chicken wings and you know exactly what you're getting. <laughs> Yeah, he's just the kind of guy who just comes in, you know, wham, bam, man. You know, he had 29 touches of the ball. I mean, I'm really making you laugh with this. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. I don't mean to make this so dirty, but 29 balls and shot only. That's how only happens. Because touches. Yeah. Oh, my God. Can we, can we change that? Because now I'm really going to sound dirty because I didn't mean to say 29. 29 touches of the ball. And he shot only twice, scored two goals, three points secure. Milan are back, back in the race. Nothing is more exciting than watching Pioli run across and celebrate with the fans and show us all just how much of an emotional man he is. And really, when we talk about great coaches and people always, you know, they, we talk about the game, we talk about the philosophy, we talk about, you know, man management, we talk about, you know, what Conte has done to change ideas and all of this. But for me, Pioli is the perfect manager because he does so much with so little sometimes, you know, I mean, when you consider the fact that in the centre-back roles, he doesn't have his preferred duo, you know, Benacer has just come back, um, Kessier has just come back, and, and yet he, you know, Noe Ibrahimovic, and you think to yourself, those amazing substitutions that he brought on, he always has a weapon up his ass, you know, a, a, a trick up his sleeve. And... God, <laughs> this podcast is going straight Now you're just ruining it. I'm just asking what you said, Mina. I just heard what I heard. I was going to say a weapon up his arsenal, but I was like, no, that doesn't make sense. So I'm going to say a trick up his sleeve. And now, oh God, now I get it because I just said ass. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> ah, a trick up his sleeve. <laughs> yes. 
And of course, the conversation <laughs> is that he changed the game around in the second half with the introduction that he made, whereas everyone is accusing Inzaghi of once again not using his substitution or using too many of them, mm. rather, because he's weakened his team and allowed them to take a very reactive rather than a proactive approach that allowed Milan to come in and change everything in three minutes. And I think that's the debate right now, which I don't really like at Saka. We've discussed this. I think he's a wonderful, wonderful tactician, but he's just so annoying to read in the papers, right? He's always moaning about something. But I have to say, I agree with him on this occasion that Inter sort of, yeah, dominated, got the goal and sat back and, and took a reactive approach. So did they deserve this? Hmm. I mean, I, that's an interesting um, way of looking at it. I mean, I, I think they were, they, they could have scored four times in the first half. Um, Mike Magnan was yeah. sensational. I haven't said that yet. Mike Magnan was brilliant, made some incredible saves in the first half. I, I really feel like it was interesting, like the, the game sort of in different phases reflected what these teams are very vividly. Because I felt like Inzaghi, partly just because he has better players, being blunt about it, but he absolutely won this sort of initial uh, game of, of chess with, with Pioli, right? Because Pioli came out with this very sort of muscular central part of the pitch. He puts Frank Kessier at the number 10 with, with Tonali and Benasser behind and says, we're going to not let, I and mean, Kessier number 10 specifically, we're going to not let Marcelo Brozovic sit back there and, and run the game as he does so effectively. We're going to own the middle of the pitch. And Inter said, yeah, go ahead. We're going with Perisic and Dumfries down the flanks and see you later. And it, and it worked, right? Like they, they actually had less of the ball in that first half. But I think they created something like nine shots on goal compared to maybe one for Milan, two for Milan. So it was it was one of those sort of really artful Simone and Zaghi systems where it's like, we don't need the ball to dominate you. I don't think anyone who watched that first half would come away with any other impression than that Inter were in charge. And it was because he let them have the middle, but he made sure that Teo Hernandez and Calabria were pinned back the whole time by Dumfries and Perisic and that worked very, very well for Inter in that first half. And yeah, then we get to that second half and, and it's going to get talked about inevitably within Zagi because this has been the knock on him. Are those substitutions wrong? I think you can go through them all individually and, and, and justify them because as he said, Perisic asked to come off. Perisic said he was feeling his, his calf getting tight. Chalanoglu's on a, on a yellow card by that point and um, in a game where the tension was rising, did get quite tasty the last part of that game and um, there's a, a, a you know some stuff we'll get to between Teo Hernandez and Lautaro and then um Lautaro himself just wasn't playing very well so individually taking all of those players off I can I can get to it but there's no question that when you make the changes that are replacing them with Vidal and Sanchez and whoever the third substitution was it was another one that felt oh DiMarco coming on those are all those are all steps back. All of those are steps sort of away from goal. And you give Milan that little bit of encouragement and Giroud was a shark in the water this time. He, he smelt the blood. But I, I think at the same time, I don't want to just talk about like what Inzaghi may or may not have got wrong because I think that purely what this um, comeback speaks to is something we've talked about loads with this team. Milan punch above their weight. Milan are all about the yeah. character, all about this sort of competitive spirit he's got going on in them. And he might have lost the tactical battle overall over 90 minutes. But he's got a team that won't give up and that's something really important. Yeah, but I, I don't know if he lost the tactical. I, yeah, I can see your point because I mean, if you think about it, for, they dominated for most of the time. But here's the thing that I find so interesting with Pioli and, and I'm starting to, to feel like is Inzaghi starts his seasons usually with a very proactive approach, even when he was in charge of Lazio, you know, very much like gung-ho, we're going to score goals, we're going to be unpredictable. And that's what I love about him and, and disliked about Antonio Conte. I thought Antonio Conte had a very sort of limited tactical identity and they very much relied on what happened through the wings and then how they, they pushed that forward with Lukaku up top. But what I liked with Inzaghi is that they used the middle and they used the flanks. And obviously Conte did use that with Ericsson in the latter half of the season and started to create something more through the middle and not just in the wide areas. But what I love about Inter is that they spread their play. You've got so many different goal scorers. It's just such an impressive style of football. But it's always impressive for about 70 minutes. And eventually he has to take these players off. And then you think the substitutions 
We've seen this against Real Madrid. We've seen this against Lazio. There's always a problem when it comes to the substitutions at the end. And they were like, oh, so maybe Inzaghi's not very good at that. But that's also not true because there have been so many substitutions that have directly been involved in all of the goals, right, in, in, in the goals. Um, so 14 direct participations in the goals from substitutes. So nine goals and five assists have come from those substitutions that he's made. So he, he definitely knows how to use them. I, I just wonder whether it's a case of purely got this wrong in the first half in the sense that he tried to play a game in which he neutralized the opponent. I'm going to put Benesser on Chalonongu and I'm going to put Kessier on Brozovic and basically try to stop them through the middle. You really can't stop Inter because they have so many different routes to goal. The more that he was just allowed to play his game, and that means not tasking people with blocking anyone, but just playing to their, to their imagination and to their ability, bringing in Brahim Diaz, who is a fantasy character, if you like, just somebody who just produces so much brilliance on the pitch when he can and when physicality is not such an issue. I thought he was stupendous in this match. And just having that pace of, of Messias and allowing it all to just flow and concentrate on their game, playing a more proactive game, a more aggressive game, rather than one where they're just trying to stop Inter. I think that's what made the difference. And I feel like there was a drop-off with Inter. And once again, we have to talk about the fact that they did lose their minds against Lazio and remember that. And Inzaghi was annoyed at the time because he said we had enough time to come back into the game. I understand that they were annoyed about that Giroud shove. It's, you know, was it a shove? Should the goal have counted? Whatever it is that you want to take, you have to understand that the moment happens and you move on. You had enough time to do enough and, and, and score more. You are the better side. You have the better individuals. And I don't know why, but there is this whole emotional thing that when they feel they've been betrayed into just lose their minds a bit. And that is something that I think they really need to work on. But other than that, I, it's also a parable story, right? If you are winning, just keep accelerating. Never let go of that desire to keep pushing forward. And I guess in many ways, when you look at Pioli, you think, don't ever look to neutralize the opponent. Just play your game and let's see what happens. I mean, obviously, be pragmatic. He's always going to be a little bit pragmatic. But it's nice when he unleashes his players to play to what they know how to do rather than neutralize the opponent. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you bring up that um, Lazio defeat, Mina. And of course, that was one of the things that um, Inzaghi said afterwards as well. Last time we yeah. lost to Lazio, we came straight back and won the next game, which admittedly was only against Sheriff in, um, in Europe. Um, they did, I think, <laughs> draw the next but they, at that time, they were like, you know, kicking everyone's ass. Yeah, I think their next league game was actually against Juventus, which they drew rather than winning right away. But look, they've certainly rebounded from one defeat in the in the grand scheme of things pretty well, right? They had that defeat and then they climbed mm. back up to the top of the table. And this is only their second defeat of the season. So I'm sort of curious to know where you sort of sit with this. There's certainly, this is, of all the weeks to start with a loss, it feels like a, a rough one, right? Because you've got Roma coming up in the Coppa in midweek. And then you've now got your next game uh, is away to Napoli in the league. And by the way, we didn't, I don't think, actually say this out loud yet. So the situation going into this game was that Inter were four points clear at the top of the game in hand. This one means that their lead at the top is down to a single point over both Milan and Napoli because Napoli also won. And that means that if Napoli beat them next weekend, they'll actually be off the top, guaranteed, at least in the short term with the game in hand. So it really is significant. And I'm curious, mm. I'm curious. About two things, Mina. First of all, like honest expectations. Do you think that this will be a, oh God, this causes a wobble? Or do you think it will be a, okay, it was a blip. It was a weird 15 minutes. We will get over it. And the other question is, which I know it's, I'm pushing your buttons a little bit, but, but do they lose that game from that position under Antonio Conte? That's a difficult one. Because <laughs> <laughs> you want to say, no, they don't, but you don't want to give credit to Conte. <laughs> no, I I don't because I don't <laughs> I don't think necessarily. I think this is an inter problem. I don't necessarily think like this is a coaching problem if that makes sense. I think the path to inter has gone, but I do I do actually weirdly enough what I've got here in capital letters such an Antonio Conte character can't believe someone scored against us lose their head. <laughs> that's that's my point, yeah. What I mean to say about this is I was very disappointed with their reaction. They almost feel like so betrayed when you, 
they have this whole like sense of injustice into and I feel like it it gets in the way I, I mean the referee did Milan really badly when in that important match against Betsy I mean you know and at the end of the day you had Ibrahimovic going chin up and all of this business yeah and the team was told to just move on even though they can't because that was huge for them when you think about this title race right now like look how much closer they'd be to to, to obviously enter mm-hmm. even with the game in hand you know but I feel like firstly I think it's important to mention that we just watched a video together before this podcast recording in which Lautaro Martinez is well, it looks like, because we can't be 100% sure, I think, that he's spitting on Teo Hernandez, yeah. who was sent off and walking down the tunnel. I mean, that is really awful behavior, frankly speaking. And this isn't, you know, this isn't an inter issue. Like, this happens a lot in football, unfortunately. A lot of, like, you know, madness and, and emotional um, waves that end up, like, catching you off guard and, and you don't understand what's happening. But and to have to control their emotions better. I think they're a very immature team, but I do think that there is this <sighs> arrogance to them in the second half where they thought, that's it, we've won this match, so we don't really need to try. Whereas Milan have this, you know, we're not good enough, so we're going to keep running, which is weirdly enough a Conte thing. Conte always used to make his teams keep, like, keep playing at the highest levels because he was scared. But I also think one thing that Conte was very much, like, argued with at the end of, at last season was that he didn't push the accelerator if they were winning he would make the changes that were just you know replacing bodies as opposed to continuing to push forward that was why there were so many just one nil victories and not two or three or four or five which is something we see now more of within Zaghi and Zaghi has more solutions to goal there are more more goal scorers there's more proactivity going forward but in this match I thought that if anything this was an Antonio Conte match um, and so I, I don't know if I would necessarily agree with that, but I do think there's something needs to be done on an emotional level. We've seen Vidal be sent off in Champions League. They do face a very tough Champions League games, but there has been a wobble. They weren't impressive against Venezia last, um, you know, just before the break either. I, I don't, I feel like right now we're seeing quite a few vulnerabilities coming out from Inter, you know, nil nil against Atalanta and, I mean, Atalanta had how many absences? So is this just a wobble for them going forward? Does this tend to happen to Inzaghi teams? Lazio have started so well in the past and then dropped off towards the end. Is this something to worry about? I'm a little worried for Inter. Honestly, yes. Um, I, I think this um, this run, in fact, I think I stopped at the um, Napoli game. Of course, after Napoli, they have Liverpool. So the, the run, um, the run is, is really daunting right now. And, you know... I think it's Shinzaghi's credit that actually he didn't dwell too much on refereeing. And he, he really doesn't in general. I think he's quite, he he's quite different yeah. to Conte in that regard. He doesn't sort of immediately say, oh, we're not getting enough protection. But it's beginning to bother me a bit that Lautaro mm. seems a long way off his best at the moment. And as we've said all along, Edin Dzeko has some very good things about him. He's also not a young man. And are you really going to want to lean on him to be uh, a Lukaku level of consistency of goal scorer, and, and he isn't. And I feel like in this game, this was one of the games where I really thought, God, they miss Lukaku, which has not happened that often this season. But I thought they were missing someone who I really felt like was scoring goals at that rate. Like I felt like they were missing that that sharpest edge, and and the fact in the end that their goal didn't come from either of the strikers; it came from Perisic was was something in itself. Um, and well taken goal from Perisic and he will give you some goals. But I think that's my biggest concern with them. I think um, they are not playing as well as they were earlier in the season. I think the composure thing is is real. Of course, they're going to be missing Barella for their Champions League games because he got himself sent off needlessly. I think the two game suspension is harsh, but nevertheless, it was a red card he could have avoided. I'm a bit worried about Inter. I think, you know, Gun to my head or whatever, I'd probably still say, yeah, I expect they'll win the league. But I don't feel as confident in it at all as I did a few days ago. And of course, that's partly because one result changes things a lot in the stand. If they win this game, they're seven points ahead of Milan with a game in hand. And they should have won this game. So probably I am overreacting a bit. But the reality is that loss does change things a lot in the league standings and gives them much less leeway. And they are going into this incredibly tough run of games. My confidence has been dented in them, for sure. I agree with you. I am, I am a little worried about Inter, especially because I really need them to do 
something special against Liverpool. It would feel awful if, like, you know, the, the team that is so far and away better than, well, at least that's the way they were regarded, far and away better than any other side in Serie A. If they don't do a really great job against Liverpool, you just imagine what the stories will be about the league. I, I do trust Inzaghi in getting them back on board and back to, to doing something really, well, hopefully fantastic and going on another winning run. But like you said, it is going to be a tough February. And I just want to make sure their emotions don't get the better. Well, of and, them. and I mean, it's you know, also to say, by the way, you know, Lautaro, if the, if he's spattered here, and is probably going to get suspended for it, um, which is going to impact these next few games. And and if that is what he did, then it's disgusting. And 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 you know, yes, people lose their their temper, people lose their minds. It seems um, like Teo Hernandez had made some sort of gesture that was provocative as well. Again. We, you know, we're, we're recording this at a time where some of this stuff is still isn't very clear. And and Teo Hernandez, who got sent off for a very cynical foul, the cynical foul I understand a bit more. You sort of don't want to see people trying to hurt each other, but he's trying to save a result. You understand why he's making a cynical foul? Absolutely. But there's no excuse for spitting at someone. It's disgusting, and um, punishment is likely to follow, and that will complicate Inter's life further again for this little run. Maybe they'll turn it all around. It's going to be interesting what happens when they face Jose Mourinho next. Testa di Casale, piano al pallone di Bala che lancia subito Vlaovic. Attenzione, esce Montipò, Vlaovic, il pallonetto di sinistra! Gol! Gol! Il primo gol con la maglia della Juve di Dujan! Vlaovic! Delizioso assist della gioia, Paulino Di Bala che lancia verso il portiere Vlaovic. Tocco sotto, morbido, dentro la porta del Verona. Juventus, 1, Verona 0. Dujan Vlaovic. Moving on to a team that, um, well, just had a splendid game, really. <laughs> Someone perked up a second. <laughs> I just was thinking to myself, like, it was just so exciting to watch this game. Um, not because I thought they were, uh, you know, tremendous, but Juventus did beat Verona 2-0 on Sunday evening. And obviously they had their two newbies, uh, two new purchases in the transfer market, uh, Dennis Zakaria, as well as obviously Dusan Vlaovic scored. Dusan Vlaovic scored in the 13th minute and Zakaria secured the result with a goal in the second half. It was an interesting game because the good old Allegri, who everyone says is so cautious, decided to go with uh, an attacking trident. With Morata out on the left, Vlaovic in the middle, and Dybala on the right, but allowed to move wherever he wants to to go, you know, and, and, and inspirational. And for once, he wasn't at the back trying to get the ball, but just a little bit further upfield. And it was really beautiful to watch to see their hard work in making sure that Vlaovic becomes the main man or scores the goal, and or at least that Juventus have a strong attack. Now, what I think was so interesting about this match is that I know everyone's talking about Vlavish, but I was so impressed, really so impressed with just the ferociousness shown by Dybala with this desire to stay on his feet. Sometimes I feel he gets knocked off quite quickly with Morata's intelligence and passing game. And, and you could see that in full flow. It was like, wow, this is such a lovely attack that we're watching. And yet, despite all of that, you still saw... So many vulnerabilities from Juventus in midfield with the fact that in the second half of Verona really, really had them in the beginning, in the beginning of the second half. And this is despite the fact that they didn't have Cafari available or Giovanni Simeone and Kalinic, we know, is now left as well. So it's interesting to see that, you know, they have obviously done a lot. They will be part of the conversation going forward in top four or possibly even more. I think that's a little bit too optimistic. I was going to ask, is Mina starting to believe? This is the sort of the opposite side of in terror falling. Mina starting to think maybe it's not too late. Well, no, because for me, it's the midfield, right? People can't see this on the podcast. Like no one gets to see that expression. There was a little bit of a like, can I say this? But like, yes, definitely face on Mina just then. I don't know, because there is so much. Like I think, wait, is it because we're missing Locatelli, which there was no midfield control, but Wait, do you just have to be midfield control of the forwards can do? I don't know what to think, but you know me. I love Allegri. I love Vlaovic. I love, I've always loved Morata. I will always be his biggest defender. And I think it's a strong defense. I think they're good enough to certainly make top four. But am I getting ahead of myself based on this one match against Verona who had so many absences? I, 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 said, I wasn't sure. I thought, you were, I, thought you were, I thought you were asking that to yourself. No, I'm asking you. Sorry. Um, are, are you? 
Um, yes, probably a little bit. I, 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 I think it's just not reasonable ever to draw one too, too much of a conclusion from, from one game. And this is game number one for a couple of, of very important new players. Now, having said that, gosh, it did feel like a completely different team already, didn't it? It did feel like, um, right, right from the first few minutes, you're like, who's this? What's this team that's shown up in front of us? Because there was pace, there was intention, there was movement that was sharp and aggressive and fast, which is just the opposite of what it feels like we've seen from, from events a lot of the time this season when it's just been stationary and plodding and slow and okay. You know, yes. it's been yes. reasonably good at not conceding goals, but it hasn't felt very um, engaging and very um, like it has a clear direction to it. Vlavic is a brilliant footballer. And we've been saying this, you and me, Mina, have been going on international yes. broadcasters all over the world and saying this for the last month before we knew where he was going. We were saying this when we thought he was off to Arsenal, when he could have been off to Tottenham. And, and then when it finally came back to, to, to Juventus, that our opinion of him as a footballer has always been, I think, very high. And he, he certainly looked, he lived up to the hype, didn't he? I mean, it took, everyone said it, it took Ronaldo an awful lot longer to score his first goal at Juventus. And, and it wasn't just that he scored a goal. I think the goal itself was was really well taken. It was a, a lovely sort of uh, chip over the goalkeeper, the sort of thing that you only do if you're a striker and with a great deal of confidence in yourself. But I think it was just the sort of directness of his runs and the way he attacked the Verona penalty box. You thought, no one's been doing this for Juventus because Morata wants to take those spaces out wide because Dybala wants to roam free and come up the pitch. No one has just been getting at the penalty box like this. And there was our second chance that he, that he missed in the first half where people said, oh, you should have done better on the finish. And I thought, yeah, you probably should do better on the finish. But also most strikers in all of Serie A aren't getting that ball. He got there because he made a really intelligent run. And, and that's something that you can't, yeah. you can't just have um, any old striker do that job. Having uh, an elite striker gives you something different and he has immediately given the team something different. And perhaps we can say the same about Zakaria. I think it's certainly really encouraging the way he fit into the team. And, and the fact that he scored is great, but not the point. The point is that he's, you know, providing impetus with his running right away. Um, but I, I really just think it's so clear cut. And this is why teams spend crazy money on centre forwards is because when you've got a centre forward who is on a different level, who makes those runs, it changes the team. It changes, it changes your whole potential as a team. You're, you're right about that. It, it's also the fluidity that you're talking about. What I like so much is about, I don't know if it's Zachary or Zakaria. I was trying to look it up. I flipped up because I haven't liked out how I'm supposed to say his name. I'm sorry. Sorry, Dennis. No, I, I looked it up and, and I got both answers. I was like, oh my God, this is even worse. Yeah. yeah. But I'm going to go with Zachary. Um, I love that he takes just one touch and quickly, he doesn't keep hold of the ball for very long. People weren't as impressed with his performance saying, you know, it's going to take time. I'm a little bit worried that he got injured and I hope that, you know, he's not off for very long, but I feel like he moves quickly. His speed of execution is quick. Allegri kept talking about his intelligence and I feel that has his arrival in midfield automatically it seems like he's already got a, a relationship with Weston McKenney who came on and, and, and sort of like, you know, danced and celebrated with him when he got his goal. And having Vlaovic up front, I feel like these two departments have been inspired. Mm. I feel like they're, everyone is producing better. You saw, you saw better performances from even Rabiot, Arthur, every, you know, Dishilio. It was a really good just overall team performance that wanted to play to a better rhythm, that wanted to produce better, that was like, okay, everyone's expecting us to be really great because we brought in these two players. So we're going to be really great and we're going to work really hard and try to bring the sport together. And for once, I wasn't bored. I was like, oh, this could be what it's like to support like Manchester City or, you know, like these teams where like, this is fun. I'm enjoying myself. There have been some great moments in Juventus's, you know, season, don't get me wrong, you know, but I, this was a fun match to watch because I just felt like everyone was moving faster. Like everything would just seemed like you said, like there was a purpose to it. There was an understanding to it. Of course, there are so many vulnerabilities still evident. The fact is, is they cannot dominate or keep hold of the game, you know, the way that they once used to. 
once upon a time you could give the ball to the opponent and you just know that they can't score against you. But now there is a fear of that, you know, even though they've kept nine clean sheets. What I thought was really interesting is just a few things. For one thing, Gazetta called him the Viagra. <laughs> and I laughed for about an hour when I read that. Um, and then there were just so many tweets about, you know, what his name could be on the back of the shirt, incorporating Blau Vision Viagra, which I thought was hilarious. Um, I am thrilled because I, I, I always wanted, and I feel like this was an issue as well with when even Ronaldo was around, was that they needed a striker. And they, you know, that was, that was something that we even talked about when we did this show with Gab Marcotti. We kept saying that since Iguain left, there is something missing of a reference point because Morata, like you said, and Dybala, they need somebody who is in the middle, who occupies the spaces, who has physique, you know, a, a strong structure that can hold off defenders. And, and he's great, I think, in tight spaces. And I think he's great in open spaces. People want to see what Juventus do when they're, they are up against a team that will clog up everything around them. So that'll be interesting to see how that, that moves on. And obviously that will be Villarreal. They're great at doing that. And I want to see what Juventus do against them. Another thing that I think is worth mentioning is that, <laughs> is that Gazetta wrote, if you discount the first four weeks, the Juventus would be at the top of the table alongside Inter with 43 points. And it kind of sounds like, you know, if, if my grandmother had wheels, she'd be a bike. <laughs> Do you remember that famous like quote from an Italian chef when he was told about a carbonara? Yeah, Chichicampo on, on TV. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. And it's a case of, you know, if and buts, right? But it's amazing to see how much they've sort of recovered from the beginning of the season when it was just all so traumatic. And I wonder whether now they will have a confidence boost or whether they will get a bit arrogant again or perhaps just start depending too much on Vlaovic. It, it remains to be seen. Do you know who Juventus last lost to in Serie A, Mina? Verona? No, it was... Atalanta and who are Juventus playing next? Of course. Right. So it's straight away a, a, a more, you know, this is, I don't mean to disrespect Verona because Verona have actually played some, some good football times a season. They're ninth on really the table. Football. They're not pushovers. It's not, I'm not dismissing this weekend's performance at all. I think it was a, a really impressive start for, um, for, for this sort of new era, I guess, the Vlahovic era for Juventus. I think you've highlighted something really important, which is Verona are a team that play quite open and it will be different when you play a team that won't play that open. Atalanta do tend to play quite open, so they, we will see how, how the game comes out this weekend. But it's certainly right away you go into one of those games that can define your season because in the end, as we talked about with this Vlavic uh, signing, you, you sign Vlavic, you spend 75 million euros in January, partly because you've realized that qualifying for the Champions League has become quite precarious. And Champions League qualification is worth, just in prize money, leaving aside uh, gate receipts and other stuff, about 85 million euros to Juventus. So like you've signed him in big part to get into the Champions League again. And actually, like if you look at the rest of Juventus' schedule this season, it doesn't look so daunting, right? Because they've already played some of those tougher games in the second half of the schedule. After Atalanta, things things get a lot easier for a little while, or at least on paper, of course, and you sort of win the games. But this game still, on its own, is one of those games that can, that can say a lot, right? Because if you do drop points to Atalanta, if you do let them get back in front of you, having only just got back in front of them, it, it can be a real sort of momentum shifter in a season, I think. So it's, it's, a, it's a really important one this, this next weekend coming up for sure. Well, obviously, it's interesting you say that. We know that Atalanta have a game in hand, but they have lost fourth position to Juventus, obviously, with that win um, that Juventus managed over Verona. But Atalanta lost to Cagliari. And frankly speaking, when you look at their home record, I was really surprised by this, but they've only managed to win three times at home this season. And it's bizarre when you look at the fact that this is a Volta Mazzari Cagliari side that everyone has talked about. They are obviously without Illichich. They are, well, they brought on Juban Zapata for 15 minutes, but sadly had to take him off. And now we're worried that this injury of his, you know, has reoccurred, 
which means that he will be out for a longer time. He was out for 50 days and it was hugely important absence for Atalanta. And you can see their game is just not of the highest level when he's not available on the pitch. Luis Muriel is a great striker, but he is not and doesn't give as much in the final third and overall quality and how he helps his teammates. And he cannot do what Zapata do. They have different characteristics. But what Atalanta do need is a Zapata. And now it's worrying if he won't be available going forward. Now, incidentally, when you and I were doing our predictions at the very start of the season, we worried about Atalanta. Mm -hmm. We said that we didn't know whether they could continue this because they are all hard and they have started to maybe perhaps lose a little bit of that quality that we've seen before. And what makes Atalanta so special is the fire and fury. It's the fact that they play and leave it all on the pitch, but there's only so much you can do with that without starting to get a little bit exhausted and you do need quality to resolve certain games. But there's been um, a real drop-off. I mean, they started the season really well and I thought, okay, obviously I've gotten this wrong, so maybe they can make top four because Atalanta's Atalanta. And then they had some bizarre results in the Champions League. They were excellent against United, but then obviously were not as good against young boys, which were the teams that we thought they would defeat. And the same thing goes for them in Serie A. So what is, is this a team that you feel is is on the slide? And that's only understandable considering their budget and obviously the fact that they are missing certain important players and Salt Gosens just now. or can we believe that Atalanta are a side that will viciously, viciously compete for top four and make it into the Champions League again? Yeah, I, I am worried for them. I, I think um, details are starting to come, come about. So they've done so well this season. I mean, they've done remarkably. When you think about the fact they've been missing, God, three quarters of their starting defence, it's felt like for about half of the season. As you said, saying goodbye to Gerson's another player who I think is one of the I've talked about him enough. Like, I think he's one of the best players in the world at his position, actually. So a huge loss there. Um, not having your top centre forward available is, is obviously a huge loss. And I mean, look, they lost this game to Cagliari and it was surprising on paper because they lost a game to Cagliari who were also missing Pau Pedro. In amongst all that, they also had their goalkeeper sent off in the 52nd minute. And by the way, I don't want to skip out on this detail because Juan Musso had quite a week. He posted a picture of himself accidentally uh, on Instagram. <laughs> I don't know if you saw this, Romina. I forgot about yeah. this. <laughs> he took a photo of his room and shared it on Instagram, but had failed to take into account the fact that he was standing, not wearing any clothes, with a mirror in the middle of the room. Um, so there was uh, a moment to forget there, and then another moment to forget for him as he got sent off in the build up to Calories, uh, for a fan of the build up to Calories goal. A week to forget for Juan Musso. And now, of course, he will also be missing the Juventus game. So missing the starting goalkeeper. I'm not certain Musa's had a great season in general, so perhaps it's not another huge mm. loss, but Zapata certainly is. Yes, but Sportiello is not playing. That's another thing. Like he wasn't the man who came on and it was Francesco Rossi. And and they presume it's going to be the same thing because something to do with the vaccinations. I, I didn't understand that very well, I'll be honest with you. But I mean, Gasparini said it was a technical choice, but... I don't know. So that that's where it gets a little bit scary for them. Yeah. So yeah, you're 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 not dealing with um first choice keepers, first choice strikers. It's a big ask. My only sort of counterpoint to that is it's Atalanta and they always find a way. But yeah. This is what I'm asking. Do you think they will find a way this season? Because you weren't that high on them in the beginning. And then they were like, oh, well, you know, they still managed to, right? But it's, it's sort of now relying a lot more on heart than it is on actual quality. The quality that they needed to beat the likes of Liverpool back in, you know, like last season. And I'm feeling like that kind of quality, which sometimes resolves certain matches when they don't are not playing at the top of their physical abilities, that's missing now. So they really do need to be at their optimum condition on a physical level to make it because it is man-on-man jewels. And when they don't have that... And they resolve matches. Uh, I I think there are players in this team that can still resolve matches. Um, I just don't feel like that's the place they're in at the moment. And my uh, honest feeling is the same as it was at the start of the season. They've defied gravity for a really long time. And I think now perhaps this is the moment when the sort of coming together of certain individual situations like injuries and suspensions might just undermine them. But honestly, Mina, the biggest reason that I feel like this is actually less about them 
and more about the fact that you've already got three teams ahead of them. This is clearly another good season um, for Inter on the whole, other, despite the recent slips. Napoli are competing for a title. Milan, uh, actually, I think Milan have exactly the same number of points they had at this point last season, but they still, they feel like a team that's moving in a particular direction. And now Juventus are looking like they're about to, to take a step forward again as well, thanks to the new signings. So it's, it's almost less about them than it is about just the fact that these four bigger, richer clubs are getting their acts together at the same time. But guess, as I said before, do I expect them to, to, to um, drop off a bit? Yes, I do. But would I be shocked if Gasparini pulls another rabbit out of a hat? No, because it's Gasparini and he does this um, season after season to keep us guessing. Seria Chronicles is excited to partner with Kalido Media, an Australian digital media agency specializing in website design and development and digital marketing. The Kalido Media team has a diverse range of digital skills, including helping our podcast by managing its social media accounts and editing videos for YouTube. Whether you're looking to enhance your website to attract new business or find an audience via social media marketing to generate leads and sales, Kalido Media will work with you to develop a customized digital strategy for your business. They've had a lot of success in generating leads and driving online traffic for various types of businesses. So if you're looking to attract new eyeballs to your business to generate leads and drive sales, visit kalidomedia.com.au to get in touch with the team to discuss a strategy to fire up your business, connect with your ideal audience and communicate your message. Fire up, connect and communicate with Kalido Media. See the link in the show notes. Now, I want to go back to something that you said before, Nikki, and you said about, you know, Giroud, obviously, and Alexis Sanchez and whether or not that goal should have stood. And you were saying the more you watched it, the more you thought, no, that makes sense to me that the referee didn't call, um, didn't call it and allowed the game to continue. Now, obviously, Roma played Genoa and Nicolo Zaniolo managed a last minute goal. And it was a stunning, stunning finish, a beautiful goal. He thought he'd won all three points, went to celebrate with under the curva, took off his shirt, was so, so happy. It took the referees and VAR an absolute age, but they finally decided that the goal would not stand because of a previous foul from Tammy Abraham, who stepped on his opponent. He stepped on his foot and they thought that that was a foul. And because of that, it should have been called and therefore the goal no longer stands. And Roma could only manage a nil-nil against Genoa. What do you think? Yeah, I definitely went back and forth on this one as well. Um, I, I, I did. Um, it was funny because, um, well, not funny, but there was there was some sort of other absolute nonsense in this game. Ostergaard um, getting himself sent off for Genoa for putting his his throat on his his hand on on Felix Felix's throat. And what I found astonishing was that he came up gesturing like he couldn't believe he'd been penalised. He literally had his yeah, hand on Felix's throat. You think footballers sometimes live in this planet in their own heads where where doesn't seem to re- relate to, the, to what we're watching sometimes. But I, I, the Tammy Abraham one is is really tricky because I think he does step on his foot. But I, I also think it's, it's so hard to, to, to catch that clearly on on the video, no matter how many times you watch it, that I don't I don't think that you should overturn that decision. I think you should let that decision be what it is on the field because it's not it's not clear to me, even after watching it a bunch of times. Tammy Abraham certainly feels that he was fouled. And I think it's telling if you go through if you do the paper roundup this morning, Mina, which um, I'm always going through all the papers in in um on a Monday morning, you get polar opposite views in different papers on this on this topic. There are some of the the leading newspapers, I think Gazetta went with, no, this was the right decision. The goal should have been disallowed. You go to Corriere della Sport, which is initially published in Rome, but nevertheless, I think I gave him Abisa a four out of 10 for his, manage, for his um, handling of the game and saw it completely the other way. I think, you know, again, if you want to get into the frame by frame of whose foot touches whose foot first, that's where I'm like, maybe he does stand on him. But to me, it's, it's so ambiguous. 
um, that contact that, that I, I think that the referee's decision on the pitch should stand because the whole point of VAR, which we forget sometimes is supposed to be clear and evident. And the fact that this can be seen so differently by different outlets and by different TV pundits through the night on, on Italian TV makes me think that it, it just should have been left where it was on the pitch. Yeah, I agree with you because the whole point is, is that it's supposed to be clear and obvious error. And at the end of the day, that if, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, he didn't stand on his foot. It, it, I guess maybe it was a foul, but it's like you said, I couldn't, it took me ages to try to figure out who does what. Yeah, they're, they're both moving at the same speed, right? They're both coming in fast and and it's a collision that happens. Yeah, so I, I do think that I agree with you that it should be the referee's decision. And yes, I, I totally understand why Roma feel aggrieved, why Mourinho is, is a little bit angry. Um, and he feels like it's it's been a lot of these refereeing errors that have happened. Obviously, everyone's piped up and talked about it. The red card, I think, for me is is more shocking. So after that, um, just to explain a little, Daniela was so upset that his goal wasn't allowed to stand, and he went up to the referee and said, "What the f are you whistling at?" And he repeated it three times. The referee got really angry and gave him a red card. And sent him off the descent. And so there's been a lot of talk around that. The the head coach of the women's Italian national football team said that he needs to be better educated. His parents had come out on Instagram and said, hold your head up high. This is Zaniolo's parents. Obviously, Mourinho sticks up for his players. Others say that he's got issues when it comes to his anger management. And others are debating whether or not he should have been sent off because surely it's normal to have such an emotional reaction because it was at the very end of the game. He did think he scored the winner. There's been a lot of talk about him throughout the week with Thiago Pinto, who is the sporting director of Roma, saying, I cannot guarantee that he will stay with us. Now, I I just want to say on behalf of Pinto, he was saying, I can't guarantee it because I just, just can't. He didn't mean to say, oh, I think he's leaving. He was just somebody who's saying, you know, the world is full of, you know, topsy-turvy decisions and sometimes they are, they come out of the blue. So I cannot guarantee anything. And he was just having a conversation, but obviously it was blown out of proportion. Everyone thought, oh my God, who's, where is Daniela going to go? Is it going to be to Juventus? Is it going to be to Inter? Is it going to be outside of Italy? So there's been a lot of talk about him. So obviously scoring that goal in the minute meant a lot to him. And he went to celebrate with the fans. I mean, and we know that there was a, a standing ovation and an applause for Francesco Totti, who was in the stands. And it was Roma. He's the son of of this team right now. He is their icon. He was the man that changed the game. And then all of a sudden you strip that away from him. You have to understand he is going to have an emotional reaction, even though I, I am apprehensive about his attitude in general. But I do think that that red card was a little bit harsh. But I think what bothers me about this whole thing is that yet again, we're talking about the incidents of the match. And not about the fact that Roma are five points off where they were last season. That really, it shouldn't have taken till the 90th minute for them to win this game. You had 23 shots on goal and nothing came out of it. You were disastrous in the first half. You were playing with five defenders against Genoa. I mean, Genoa, a 3-5-2 that became five at the back. And then, and then when you wanted to fix that, because they had a man sent off, an Ostigard who was just ridiculous because he thinks this is a rugby game rather than a soccer match yeah i don't know i don't know rugby very well but i think you get sent off in rugby for doing that sticking a hand on someone's throat it's just just dangerous yeah i mean it's ridiculous you know you get a man sent off you know and then you 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 try to remedy this by just throwing on more attackers but who's gonna who's gonna create play for all of these forwards I, i i just there is still something wrong with the way that they play their football i i i'm i'm I don't want to be too harsh because I do really love Mourinho. And like, obviously the guy understands football. He's won so much in his life. But there is something to be said about the fact that we're all debating something that happened in the 90th minute. Where were you for the first 80 or 85 or whatever you want to say? Well, what's coming up from all these chances? Why is it so difficult for you to finish them off? And why is there no real genuine director of the ball or chances being created? And and the, the substitutions for me are very, very basic. You know, you ask a child, what do you need to score a goal? You say a goal scorer, so you just shove more on. Mm-hmm. There's something missing there. Yeah, I, I, I don't, um, uh, nothing in recent times has changed my feeling that Mourinho is not doing enough, not doing what you expect, certainly, of a manager who is joint best paid in the whole division 
to to elevate this team beyond what it should be doing. Um, there's there's some definitely some gaps in that team. No one's saying it's a team that's the squad that should be winning Serie A, but there's there's enough there that it's still better than most teams in Serie A, and and it feels like it's performing at best pretty much exactly where you would expect it to being seventh in the league. It's not it's not going above and beyond. On, on the Zaniolo point, I just I'm sort of again on the fence on this one because I do share where you're coming from. And like, I think it's, um, I think it's, it, it feels harsh, like emotionally that you take away. It's a beautiful goal as well. Like you take it away from someone mm. in that moment, mm. they have some emotion pour over. But at the same time, I think that that is something that's a message that Celia has tried to send, not always applied as consistently as you'd like, has tried to send quite consistently, like don't get in referees' faces, don't swear at them. And I mean, going back years now, players have been sent off even just for sarcastic clapping at a referee before. So, yeah, that's true. And that is a good thing because, in the end, these are people doing a job and they shouldn't have to get someone up in their face swearing at them. But I do understand again when you're a kid and you've just got a brilliant goal, some emotion is probably going to come out of you in that moment as well. What about the other matches? Anything strike you? Because obviously, Lazio had a very comprehensive win against Fiorentina. Lots of talk of whether or not Fiorentina lost this match because they miss a certain Vlaovic and whether or not the tactics were so well made and designed for Vlaovic that Cabral, King Arthur, who has come in, simply can't just fit into the scheme so easily. Or, um, and do you believe a little more in Sadi's Lazio? Do you know, I, to me, the, the Vlaovic story is, is overblown because look, they could have played this game and still lost 3-0 with a, uh, just for having a good striker on the pitch. Yeah, I know I was talking about how much difference a striker makes before, but I think that's that's sort of overstating it. They were outplayed in this game pretty thoroughly. I, for me, the story here is much more actually is Lazio, who quietly, quietly um, have put together a pretty mm. good run of results. If you go back to sort of the middle of December, I'm actually just trying to count the games, but if you go back to middle of December and, and then beating Jenner, I think it's now one, two, three, four, five, six, eight games in which the only loss was against Inter, which is away from home to Inter is a game you can lose. So I, I think that it does feel like things are trending cautiously in a good direction uh, under Maurizio Sadi at the moment. Certainly uh, Milinkovic Savic, I thought was, was brilliant in this game and, and, and can do that for you. But yeah, I, I think for me, that was more the story of this game. Of course, the other thing that I suppose comes into it is it's not just about losing Vlavic as a player for Fiorentina. But I think what you do see is you look at Juventus and yes, they've gained a player, but it felt like just the sort of the fact of that transfer creates energy. Like it creates excitement. It creates something in the players of like, oh, we're going to go out and, and throw everything at this. Whereas perhaps on the flip side of that, there is something of when the January transfer window ends with your star goal scorer leaving, it has to take something away from the players individually as well. Just being like, oh, well, great. You know, like we've had that taken away from us now for the rest of the season. So I'm sure there is some of that as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree with you. I am interested to see what, what Sadi can do because I do think this is one of the best seasons Milinkovic Savage is having since I would say 2017, 2018. So I'm glad that he's playing to his perform to his level, the one that I've always expected from him. It's just, a, it, it's interesting to see whether or not he will stay there. But I mean, man for man, Lazio are the better team. So you would expect them to collect all three points in this match. But it's just nice that they're also managing some clean sheets. And this is despite the fact that they haven't had Francesco or Cherby available for them at the back. The other obvious place to go this week, I think, is the Napoli game. Um, Napoli with Victor Osimhen back up front, uh, scores a goal. That's wonderful to see him back playing for Napoli and and scoring. Uh, An important win for them because, of course, it came after the derby between Milan and Inter. So, the, so they knew by the time it kicked off, if we get our three points here, then we go into that game against Inter next week, back within touching distance, back within a range to, to overtake them. And Venezia, while they've sort of tailed off a bit, they haven't been an easy place to play away from home for, for visiting teams. So I think it was a, a, a really good result and a good, again, clean sheet actually, Mina, with even more sort of I guess, good news in a way to come because, of course, uh, Kaladu Koulibaly can now come back from the Africa Cup of Nations, which he just won. As a winner, yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, Napoli do have a really, I mean, Napoli versus Inter, Barcelona versus Napoli, Cagliari versus Napoli, that's going to be an easy one, but it's Mazzari. Napoli versus Barcelona again, then Lazio, then Milan. It's a tough February up until even the beginning of March. It's going to be quite hard for them. It's interesting, actually, because at the start of the season, I was like, I was convinced that Osman is the best striker in Serie A. It's almost like I completely forgot about Dusan Vlaovic. <laughs> and then because of the transfer market, because of all everything that's happened, and then he equaled Ronaldo's record of goals scored in a calendar year, and, and you know, Vlaovic became the name. But Osman really is just such a fantastic talent. And you, it's the fact that he plays. It's exactly what Spalletti was saying. He has no fear. I mean, you've just come back from a serious injury. You're wearing a mask and you still go full throttle, um, you know, in your aerial jewels. It's, it's really fantastic to watch. Um, but I'm interested to see um, how Napoli progress because I feel like now they're getting all their players back. They're going to be a, not, you know, a real force to be reckoned with. And it, it wouldn't be that. I don't know. I wonder what's going to happen there. But also for Venezia, this is the first time that they do occupy a relegation spot. They haven't managed to win since the 21st of November. During that time, they've only collected three draws. The rest are all losses. They just can't seem to get a goal. So I don't know what's really, what's going on there. They've obviously brought in players like Nani, but he's out of shape. And they just don't have goal scorers. And I feel a little bit sorry for Zanetti because he tries so hard to bring in different players. And then, you know, Spalletti throws on Britannia and they get a last minute goal at the very end. (laughs) So I, I do sort of, feel for Venezia because I think they on a tactical level they are so nicely organized they are good defensively and then of course they just can't score goals and that's going to be an issue and I wonder whether they'll be relegated because of it goals change games strikers change games that's all it's such a common problem I think for teams at the bottom half of the table like does one goal scorer can make such a big difference so a few last things to mention Mina before we wrap it up the Azzurri, Italy's Euro 2020 winners um, in 2021, of course, nominated for the Larius World Team of the Year Award. People in Zaghi has um, been sacked by Brescia, which gives me a chance to mention something I didn't mention earlier in the podcast, which is that uh, <laughs> Olivier Giroud, of course, was supposed to be carrying the curse of Milan's number nine shirt this season because no striker since Pippo Enzaghi in a decade now has hit double figures for Milan while wearing the number nine shirt. Now there's been some quite big names to wear it in that time. Um, Gonzalo Higuain's worn it, uh, Fernando Torres has worn it, Andre Silva came in for nearly 40 million euros and wore it and nobody managed to hit double figures for Milan while wearing that shirt. Now Giroud is still three away, but two goals in the derby to win the derby certainly feels like a little bit of a curse ending kick. And also uh, this week, Manutia Zampanini uh, passed away, the former owner of Palermo, I suppose most famously, where he was a colourful character, described himself as a mangialenatori, a manager eater, and, and got through a lot of them. Has a, I would say, complicated legacy, um, which I think we'll talk about a little bit more in a Patreon extra this week. But that is all we've got for this main episode today. We'll be back on Friday with our Chronicles Q&A mailbag show. Do check out our new website at seriachronicles.com. Click the link to join our Patreon and become a Chronicles Tifosa where you will get the exclusive podcasts such as a little conversation about Zamperini and bonus content through the week. We've been saying and we'll keep saying, please do let us know what sort of content you want from us on Patreon. We are listening. We can't do everything right away. We're working out how we do things and when we do things, but we are listening and we really appreciate all your uh, thoughts on that. Lovely little growing community on the Patreon and um, we're so grateful and happy that you guys are there and doing this journey along with us. Find us on Twitter at Seria Crompod, at Nikki Bandini, at Mina Rizuki. Subscribe to the Seria Chronicles YouTube channel for clips of the show and do hit that like button doesn't cost you anything helps us out with the algorithms and leave us a rating and review on apple Podcasts. mina what sort of review should they give us absolutely positive ones <laughs> five stars five stars only um, or wherever you get your podcasts we will be back as i said on friday with the q a bye
ne va tosto, parte il cross per Pozzi, forse fallo di mano, non secondo orzato, destro la fuori e mette, Giovinco, 2-1, Giovinco, e poi il vantaggio al 37esimo, ha segnato Giovinco. Sports Social Podcast Network. Ok, round 2, name something that's not boring. A laundry? Uh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.